time for the Brotherly Love Podcast. Keeping it real on the Philly sports scene since 2014. But, you know, still, he's yakless. Oh, the yakless wonder. He is. My God. Good job, Zach Ertz, baby. Love it. Ertzy, babe. Ertzy, babe. Whether it's the fight in Bills, the birds, the fly guys, the process, or a national headline, these two beauties are talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. Here's your host, Joe O'Donnell. God damn it, I love Chase Sutton. And John Mita. Terry Williams, do me a favor. For one week, can I not talk about you? The Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. You know what you love it. Super Bowl champs, baby! Joe Donald and John Mita. Brotherly Love Podcast. Follow us on Twitter Twitter at Love Podcast. All the haters, you know what you can do. You know what you can do, haters. Johnny Mita. Super Bowl champs, baby. How's it feel? Unbelievable. I mean, just... It still really hasn't sunken in yet, man. It's like, it's like I'm in a dream. I'm like, somebody wake me up. I mean, it's just, just incredible. I mean, all I kept saying is after the ball, man, just kept screaming, champions of the world, champions of the world. I said, I eat goat tonight for the first time, and I loved it. That's <laughs> what I said. All right, before we dive into it, let's let the great Merrill Reese give us the final uh, moments of Super Bowl 52. Brady. Lines them up. He's back again. He steps up. He's hit. He stumbles. He is throwing it deep for the end zone, and it is batted around and incomplete. And the game is over. The game is over. The Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions. Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you. Let the celebration begin. And there it was, courtesy of 94 WIP. There it is. If this is a dream, don't wake me up, says Mike Quick. Boy, um, we talked about it weeks ago, man. I'd be so happy for Merrill Reese to have that moment after 41 years or whatever it's been with the Philadelphia Eagles. And he got his moment. All of Eagles Nation got their moment. All of... You know, everybody that's been bleeding green all these years got their moment. For those that passed on, that weren't able to see it, that dreamt about it, the former players, the coaches. I mean, you got uh, – I will talk about this later, John Mita, but one of the craziest things to me was the reaction from the alumni, from fans all over the world that finally saw what they've been waiting for 58 years without a championship in the sport of football. Finally, it's broken in Philadelphia. Feels pretty damn good, buddy. Feels real good, you know that that moment with Merrill, the pause when that ball was in the air, that hail mary at the end of the game with Tom Brady, and that felt like the longest thirty seconds of my life, even though it was only nine calculated seconds. And just the reaction, I mean, Merrill and Mike had the same reaction as some of the players, the defensive backs on the field, because as the ball hit the ground, you're like, oh my god, is that it? Is the time expired? Is the game over? Please tell me the game is over. Are there any flags? I was looking for flags. Well, flags, exactly. Everybody was calling for that infamous pass interference call to to get the Patriots back in the game. But uh, it it was just pandemonium, man. Just what a year to weigh the cap this year for this football team. We've said it for weeks. 
They're such a special group. Everyone left their egos at the door, outside of the room, so to speak, and they just came together. Uh, they probably faced more adversity than any other team as far as injuries go. And I hear some of these national pundits, idiots, talking about, well, the Patriots didn't have this person. You know, I'm tired of hearing that. Okay, when you're missing your all-pro, all-fame left tackle, one of your best running backs, your starting punt return, your special teams captain, your middle linebacker, your starting quarterback, who happened to be, at the time, the MVP of the National Football League, cry me a river, okay? I don't want to hear it, okay? This team came together for one cause to get it done. They kept saying, we're not done yet, and now they are done because they are Super Bowl champions, and they brought something back to this city, to this fan base that was for years just, when is it going to be our time? When is it going to be our year? When Carson Wentz goes down, people are thinking, oh, my God, here we go again. We all thought it. I know I did. I know you did. Uh, we read that. You read that column that Mike Sielski wrote, and Nick Foles, dear St. Nick, comes in, saves the day, plays two of the best games of his entire you know, professional career. And it's just one thing, Joe, that I look back on when you look at this Super Bowl, is it just every player on that team, on that roster, had a contribution in the game. I mean, everybody made plays. From the long snapper to the kicker making a field goal to Brian Brayman and Corey Clement on special teams when the Patriots tried that ridiculous, you know, lateral trying to fool the Eagles, and they ended up, you know, costing the Patriots big time, tackling them inside their 15-yard line. It's just everyone did their job. Everyone made a contribution, you know, on the field, off the field. You know, Carson Wentz coaching Nick and, you know, looking at the Microsoft Surface, being that other set of eyes. I mean, that was beautiful to see. Here's a guy that... And he's waiting for that moment in his career and the selflessness of him to just sit there and coach Nick up and help him understand what the defensive coverages were and many of the playoff games. It's just an incredible, incredible accomplishment by this team, by this organization, by the ownership, by everyone involved. Man, it just makes me happy. I, I couldn't be any happier. I got the experiences with your brother-in-law, you know, just to, to be there and to watch them win their first Super Bowl was so damn special. To me, it's uh, kind of been a rough year in my personal life, but um, it was just magic, man. And I'm just so happy. And, hey, you know, I, I also said this in the stands. I said, their dynasty ended tonight, and now ours begins. And I truly believe that. I think this football team is going to be good for years to come. We have the singer caller. Obviously, we have the coach, you know, and Joe. I know you're going to hate this, but from now on, okay, you cannot call Doug Peterson Pippen Peterson. It's <laughs> off the table. You can't do it. As long as I will never call Zach Ertz, the yakless wonder, yeah. because of what he did. That's out of the table. I mean, he was incredible. We I have mean, some, just, hey, we have some crow to eat collectively, but the entire sure. city does, and that's – yeah. That's okay, man. That's why we do what we do. That's why we're so passionate about our sports teams because, look, you can want to run a guy out of town and then they can change your stripes. Nelson Aguilar 
was soft. He was not ready for football, admittedly so. Read his quotes. He wasn't ready. He wasn't a good enough pro. He was doubting himself. He had confidence issues. He had to be benched because he was he was too scared to basically go back up there and fail again. And then in the Super Bowl, he had an outstanding game. You know, and that is what makes sports great. You talked about this team and everybody contributing. This team was the epitome of the word team. There was zero I to this group. And it starts at the top, and it works its way down, and everybody on that roster felt a part of this thing, man. Alshon Jeffrey was telling Frank Reich the whole season, we're going to win the Super Bowl. I just read that the other day. You know, they asked him about Alshon and being a number one. He said he came in and just wanted to win. That's all he told the coaching staff every week. Frank Reich would tell him after a game where he didn't have a big factor in the game, hey, next week you're our guy. And Alshon would say to him, I don't care. We're going to win the Super Bowl. I mean, that's unbelievable stuff. I mean, there's so many stories. Of, hey, look at a story that just came out. And one of the best defensive linemen in all of football, Dominican Sue, absolute maniac, probably one of the most hated players. He said that he wants to, he'd play for free if he was on the Philadelphia Eagles. That's a respect that they're starting the game, you know, amongst their peers, so to speak, other players. This is going to be a hot destination for free agents to come to because they're going to be like, I like what they're doing over there. I like how Doug Peterson's a player's coach. You know, everyone gets to be their own person. And that's the one thing that Doug did. Like, he let these guys' personalities, he just let them be themselves, which I thought was extremely important. But he also had the moxie to, to listen to his players. And one of the biggest plays of the game, the old Philly special. And when you have that, that bond between, you know, I'll listen to my players, they can give me suggestions. How about during the course of the season when – you know, they, they felt like towards the end of the latter part of the year when they were facing the Raiders and they were like, listen, they went to Doug Peterson directly and said, I think we need to put the pads on back for two days. I mean, that takes a lot for a group to say, listen, we want to get back in that physical, you know, part of the game as far as we think we're losing something because we're not being physical enough. And that's amazing that they were able to step forward and talk to Doug about that. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. And it just, it just shows the character of this group and the leadership of this entire team, man. It's just, it, it, it's incredible. I mean, I just, there were certain plays throughout the course of the season where you're just like, wow, like look at these guys. They just love playing with one another. And I really do think they love each other off the field. And that bond, when you have that type of strong, I don't know, personality, I don't know, that commitment to one another, not to let each other down. That, that's really amazing. And, and then, I think that. And then on top of that, you put the icing on the cake by winning the whole thing. And, you know, I was a was a Fred Shiro's line in the old Flyers Cup days, like, win today and we'll walk together forever, right? That famous Flyers line. That is the Philadelphia yeah. Eagles now. This group will always be tied together because of what they achieved. Uh, we'll get to your experience of the game in a moment. We'll also talk, we'll break down the game, we'll talk about the parade. We've got a ton for you here on the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. We appreciate everybody tuning in. But I have to pump my own tires for a moment. This was a bit tongue-in-cheek, but at the Great American Pub in Conshohocken, in episode 100, the day after the Raiders game, December the 26th, when we knew they were the top seed in the NFL, these words came out of this mouth. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? Do you know? Yeah. Who? The Philadelphia Eagles. All We've right, been over all right. That. All right, all right. 
I told you two podcasts ago, this will be the greatest story ever written in Philadelphia sports history. That it would be. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Yeah, I can imagine. They are three games from it. They're going to get it done. They will find a way to get it done. I have faith in the Church of Foles. The Church of Foles. Can you imagine the parade there? Could you imagine? Yeah. How many people would show up? Yeah, I missed the 08 parade. It would be the largest sports parade ever in history. Book it. In all sports, ever. Now it's December the 26th. Maybe the parade numbers, we maybe we overinflated the parade numbers a bit. But, John Mita, they got it done, man. This team had that special feeling all year long. Take our fans, our listeners, through Minneapolis, St. Paul, being there, the hoopla of a Super Bowl, man. I've never been before. You went to the one in Jacksonville where they lost to the Patriots, uh, you know, 12 years ago, 14 years ago, whatever the hell it was now. Take us through the, the Twin Cities and the sub-zero temperatures. Well, it just, you know, with the team, it's just they have the confidence that they were able to get the job done. And I look at the fan base. Everybody that I talked to, you know, I was talking to people uh, at the party we attended Saturday night. Like, people are pretty confident that we were able to get this done. Minnesota, cold as hell. I felt like I was in Antarctica. We get there Saturday. We're on a shotgun schedule. We have a nice dinner at this place. Keith and I are outside for about three minutes, and then we regret that we don't have gloves, hat, and some type of, you know, wind. I mean, you need you need a windsuit out there. That is the <laughs> coldest place I've ever been. If you're outside more than five minutes, you're pretty much dead. Then Saturday night, crazy story, we go to the party. We're kind of in our cups a little bit. We go to the Playboy party. It was a great time. We, we really enjoyed ourselves there. I'm, 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 I'm absolutely – let me put on my shocked face for the fact you guys had a good time at the Playboy party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was you know, just something they experienced, you know, when to be part of, part of the group. And uh, then trying to find an Uber transportation out to our hotel, man, that, was, uh, that was hard to do. We found some rando driver. He was probably a Somali pirate for all we know. We get back. He wants to charge us $145. For taking a 17 miles home, we politely settled on $80, and then we got out of the car. Next day, wake up. Yep, I happen to leave my debit card in an ATM machine before the party on Saturday night. So now I'm debit cardless. Okay, the day of the game, we go to the tailgate party with Jeremiah Trotter, the Axe Man. It was great to meet him and great to talk with him, and he kind of led the whole entire bar and Eagles chants and. Got the whole crowd pumped up for what we were about to embark on and what we were about to witness. You know, the greatest day in Eagles history, man. Just a, And it was just, the fans were so great. You know, take a look at the stadium. It was 70% Eagles fans, 30% Patriots fans. It's it, it just complete domination. I don't know, it's because the Patriots go to the Super Bowl every year. That's why they didn't really sh- show up in numbers. Or are they just a fraudulent fan base in general? I don't know, but the Eagles fans brought it when Brian Dawkins was introduced as, you know, as a Hall of Famer, which is music to my ears. That's what also made the weekend so very special for me to see my favorite professional athlete of all time finally get to walk into the hall. That's going to be amazing in Canada in August. This summer, the crowd just erupted. I mean, just so many stories of, you know, what people did to... I mean, people were taking out second mortgages to get tickets to go to the game. I mean, they were taking out home equity loans. I mean, that's what this <laughs> Eagles fan base is doing. That's how passionate. 
I mean, somebody told me on the news, I heard the other day, I don't know if this is fact, somebody spent 170 grand on a Super Bowl ticket, one ticket. Um, so it was just, and, and just the rejoicing after the game. You know, people shedding tears. I shed a lot of tears. There's no doubt I've been crying for weeks or for the last couple of weeks. It's been great. I don't care. You can call me whatever you want. It's just happiness. And uh, just to share with other Eagles fans that have just followed this team and just wondering when it's going to be our time. And for all the haters in the division, the Cowboys, the Redskins, the Giants, you know, we got ours. We finally got our championship. All we needed was one. We're now at the table with Super Bowl champions in the NFL, National Football League, and how sweet it is, okay? How sweet it is. And just just to be able to hang out with the fans after the game and just see how happy and just – it's just a great moment. You know, let's talk about all the good things. Let's not talk about all the negative attention that this fan base gets. And, and let, let's talk to the fans. Joe, this has come up on our podcast a little bit. These Minnesota fans, okay? The Minnesota fans that I dealt with on social media were nothing like the people that I met in Minnesota. They were all pretty gracious. They were all like, it was totally different. You know, they are, you know, a good, nice fan base. They just, they just don't get us, okay? Nobody gets us. And nobody likes us. And like Jason Kelsey said at that, we don't care because... <laughs> Well, we're champions of the world. It's something that can't be taken from his coaching staff. I've heard these idiots on national television, Colin Coward, Skip Bayless, Mike Pereira. You know, um, maybe the pick, maybe those touchdowns shouldn't have counted. Roger Goodell informed, you know, Al Rivrod, the head referee in New York, that he should change the catch rule in the Super Bowl. Like, give me a damn break. Yeah, Just they, can't, they can't Just, take it away. Because last time I checked, the clock hit zeros. Right? Yeah. And the Eagles have more points. Exactly. (laughs) When you pull up that ESPN app, it reads Super Bowl final score, 41, Eagles, Patriots, 33. Love it. Uh, The parade. Let's get right there. Since you were there, I wasn't. Oh, yeah. I'm sure some of our listeners were. How crazy was it? How awesome was it? It was an amazing, uh, just just a great gathering. I don't know where they came in with the number of 700,000, okay? There were 700,000 people at the art museum. Yeah. Where they came in with that, you know, low ball number. I mean, I was at the Phillies parade, too. If the Phillies parade had 2 million, you don't think this had at least 2 million? Like, give me a break. Just great to get together. I, you know, I was trying to buy the art museum at Fairmont. I wish I had a better opportunity to see some of the speeches. You know, people were camping out for hours. I mean, there were just droves of people from South Philadelphia all the way down to the Art Museum. The players did such an amazing job of, you know, they were getting off the bus, congratulating fans, slapping hands, just showed why they are just a beautiful team and, 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 and just great guys. I mean, it's nice that you can be proud of, right? This team had no distractions this year. There was no, no, no drama between teammates, no fights in the locker room. It was all about the love, all about the brotherly love. And to be at the parade and Jason Kelsey's speech, I mean, everyone has seen it. And listen, it was kind of profanity-laced, but I'll tell you what, that speech came from the heart. He laid everything out there on the line from how he's being demoted to some office across the street. People doubted some of the players on this team. And, and let's keep in mind, too, he was also talking about some of the fans that that have doubted this team all year, but it just came from the heart, and he just 
He just brought it Philly style. Yeah. That's what he did. Yeah. And I mean, he, that's... But look at those fans, right? I, I said it earlier. I mean, you and I have had our, our misguided opinions on players, coaches, uh, outcomes, teams, organizations. That, But that's what being a fan is. And then... You know, when it's all said and done, are you there with the team? Are you diehard? Are you passionate? Do you support them? Period. End of sentence. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and that's why at the end of the day, Kelsey laid it all out there. Sure, he was talking about a lot of the fans. Sure, he was talking about the national media. But at the end of the day, he was looking out there to a million people going, you know what? If they aren't on board now, exactly. Right? We yeah. don't care. Move and on. Exactly. You know, his comments after the game, he was just so proud he was able to be a part of the first Philadelphia Eagles football team to bring a championship home and to this fan base that he called a starving fan base, which is so true. And when he's starving, he said that if he doesn't eat breakfast, he's pissed off. And his analogies, his rhetoric with his speech and just... The outfit, just, man, the uh, outfit, the mummers playing. I mean, he was uh, all mummers, in, brother. He was all in. He was all in. He said he wanted to do it. His way, the Philly way, and, and he certainly did. And listen, this team will be able to eat for free in the city. They won't have to pay for another drink. They're going to get the royal treatment that they deserve for bringing such a great thing back to this city that has never experienced an NFL Super Bowl championship. And and that's that's awesome. And like Doug said, and, and this is what I also took from his speeches too, you know, this is the new norm. And I love that. I love that. You know, we're no longer not at the table. We got one, and we're going to come back. And for years to come, it was, it was you know, kind of a warning shot to the rest of the NFL. Listen, we're going to be here. If you like us, so what? If you don't, we don't care. But we're going to be here for the next 10 years and get ready because this could be – we just like as a fan base, we thought the 2000 was like the golden age of football and – Andy and Donovan, and we were winning so yeah, many the gold games. Standard. They were the gold standard. Well, now we are the damn gold <laughs> standard, and it feels good. All right, let me. I want to stay right there for one moment, sure. okay? And I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here on the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at Love Podcast. All right, Joe Donald, John Mita. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here, Johnny Mita, but I want you to go back ten years. All right, it's 2008. The Phillies have just won the World Series. And you're thinking what long-term for the organization? You're thinking multiple championships. They had the pieces. 2009, they go back to the World Series. They lose to the Yankees. It's all right. We'll get them next year. 100-win season. 100-win season. The Phillies really never sniffed another title again. So, I'm going to pump the brakes a bit. Not because I don't believe they can do it, but just because in sports it is so damn hard to achieve what the Patriots have achieved. I mean, look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. You look at them as a model of consistency in the AFC. How many titles do they have in the last 10 years? Would yeah. Roethlisberger have two? It's not easy. It's not easy. Injuries, so many factors play in. Other teams get franchise players, and they trump your personnel. Um, just circumstance, a bad bounce, a terrible call. I don't want to be... I think Carson Wentz is going to win three more Super Bowls. I really believe that. Like, I think the Eagles can do what you're saying. They can do what Doug Peterson says will be the norm around here. But I just caution go back a decade the Phillies ended up with one with a roster that was damn good and in a sport where you can dominate 
a la Yankees, a la Red Sox, uh, Red Sox, get there and get there and get there over a four or five year period. But that window can close oh so quickly. Chase Utley, bulky knees. Ryan Howard, Achilles injury. Aging player, salary cap. You trade away the farm system. I know the Eagles aren't in that spot, but it's so damn hard to do it again or two years from now, do it again. And so I just, part of me is like, yes, I'm all in. Four Super Bowls. Let's get it done. The next decade, we are the team. But then I'm like, well, the 08 Phillies were the team. We were convinced. They were a 100-win team. They were in the playoffs five straight years, and they didn't get it done. It just shows how difficult it is to win the championship and and and, and any professional sport. Yep. And you're absolutely right. And the, the one thing that this, this team had was they had incredible chemistry. They had great chemistry. With free agency looming, you know, decisions have to be made in the future, you know, by Howie Rosen, by this organization, the coaching staff. You know, can you get that winning formula? Can you get that chemistry amongst your players to do it again? And and that's going to be – but the one thing is some of the young players on this roster, like, they have now done it. So they understand they, what it's going to take to get it done. So that that makes you feel better that that they were able to do it. Yeah. So they have the, the experience time, now. They have the experience. experience and know what it takes. It's huge. It's huge. You know, everybody worried. There were so many players on the Patriot rosters that have played in Super Bowls. Where the Eagles, there are only a select few. A couple players that have been there. A couple players that have won it before. But it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be hard because the NFL, I mean, you know, you can go from worst to first. I mean, the Eagles were not that good in their division. And they come out and they win 13 games the next year. So nothing is promised, nothing is guaranteed. But at least they have a lot of pieces on this team that, that could give them the opportunity to, to achieve that great goal again. Let's jump into the game. Coaching, plays, players, anywhere you want to go, brother. 41-33, the final. What stands out? Big moments. We'll talk a lot about Philly special, uh, that that great play. But what else jumps out to you? For me, it was the the play calling by Doug Peterson. Okay. As I rewatched the game, because, you know, obviously I saw it live, but you got to rewatch it. How many times have you watched the game? You know, I've only watched it twice, but I'm sure it's on my DVR. It's on my DVR. It's it's not going anywhere. And I'm sure I'll watch it again. I'm sure I'll have a viewing party for it again. Yeah, let's and, do uh, that. Let's have a viewing yeah. party. I watched it last yeah. week. Well, it was on last week, start to finish. Yeah. I also rewatched a lot of it. I, I've probably seen it between live and either on in the background or actually really diving back into it. I've probably seen it three times. I expect that to probably triple over the next month. Uh, I, I have no problem just putting it on. It was such a great game. I have no problem just putting it. It's not like at any point it was like 23-3 to Patriots and you got to skip a quarter of just miserable football. The Eagles played as well as they could possibly play. Obviously some defensive lapses, but you're playing the greatest quarterback coach combination ever. That's going to happen. The Eagles played so damn well, though, and there were so many big moments and so many positive plays. I have no problem just putting the game on and being like, eh, here we go. Yeah, I mean, it's it was a game where you couldn't breathe. I mean, you couldn't go to the bathroom. You couldn't miss a minute of the action. It was total nonstop. thing that stood out to me was Doug Peterson's play calling. To see the scowl of Matt Patricia and Bill Belichick, when Nick Foles is just dicing their defense off, 
which we both thought could be totally dumb because we didn't think the Patriots were bringing in a dominant defense, was just incredible. That really stuck out to me. I also looked at the way the defense went. Yeah, they didn't play great, but in the first half, there were a couple times where they forced the Patriots to kick field goals instead of touchdowns, and that was extremely important. And I thought that was also big. You know, and, and then they made the play, man. They made the play. You know, Brandon Graham made, made the play, and that ball could not have taken yeah. a more football gods room service hop into the belly <laughs> yeah. of Derek Barnett, man. You know, that, you know the way the football bounces. That thing could have kicked off its end and spun right to that yeah. Patriots lineman. It's about to jump on top of it. Maybe the game's totally different, but it hopped right yeah. into Barnett's belly, and he did not miss it. And he just basically hit the deck. And from there, it's let's salt this thing away. You know, the, the, the balls of Doug Peterson, I mean, to go for it on fourth down, two critical situations, right? Right before the half, he runs the Philly special, which will go, down, go down as one of the greatest plays in Eagles history, if not the greatest play. The other fourth down call in the second half, yeah. where it's fourth and one, I guess there's about five minutes to go in the game. And they're on their own. They're and they're losing, the by the way. They're losing for the yeah, first time. They're down, yeah, they're down 33-32. You know, they're on their 47. It's fourth and one. Nick gets out of the pocket. He sidesteps and finds Zach Ertz for one yard and three inches. And for to go for it, because he just didn't want to give the ball back to Brady because they had the momentum. Just some of those calls he made, and God, just... Just to play Nick Foles, some of the throws that this guy made to Alshon Jeffrey, to Nelson Aguilar, some of the windows that he threw in. I mean, his pinpoint accuracy was incredible. And here's the other thing that gets overlooked. we got to give the offensive line some huge credit. Okay, they kept Nick clean all game. He didn't get sacked once. He was barely pressured. He barely hit the deck. They did such an incredible job, both in the run game blocking as well as pass protection. So big kudos to the boys up front because they did an awesome job. And I'm in the stadium, and the one thing I'm thinking is just, oh, my God, when is our defense going to make that play? When are they going to get that turnover? I'm in the stands. I'm like, come on, defense. I'm screaming. I'm like, who's going to give me a sack today? Who's going to give me a sack? And they run that great personnel package, which I love. So when the other team is in a specific, you know, it's basically a passing down. They run Brandy Graham, Fletcher Cox inside, and then they have Chris Long and Derek Barnett as your defensive end. And that is your best pass rush scheme. And basically, Brandon Graham was able to make his way to Tom Brady with a great strip. I thought, dear Lord, did we recover the football? Are they going to call the damn tuck rule again? And, and they made the hugest turnover of the game. And then you're thinking to yourself, oh, my God, please just get one first down. We'll drop a knee. The game is over. The Patriots held them. You know, Doug ran the ball to kind of make the Patriots use their timeouts. And then Jake Elliott, don't count on for an extra point. But if you got a field goal 45 or more, it's money in the bank. And he hit a huge kick. So This is going to sound, abs- this is gonna sound absurd. Yeah. I knew going into the Super Bowl, Jake Elliott was going to miss an extra point because that's what he does. When they miss that extra point, as much as it looked like it might come back to bite them as the game moved on, I still kind of felt good about it because I'm like, this is what we do. Man, Jake Elliott always misses an extra point, but he makes his field goal. So, like, we've overcome missed extra points. The Eagles have overcome missed extra points all season long, man. 
It was like uh, it was like Elliot's yeah. thing to do. All, all, all season long. I, the other one of the big turn points too, and this guy played an excellent game is Malcolm Jenkins, man. The guy was all over the field, and his play when he knocked out Brandon Cooks for the game. That might have been one of the biggest plays of the Super Bowl because the Patriots only dressed four wide receivers. And then once Cooks went out, they were down to three. So, and he was their big threat guy. He was the guy that could get behind the defense, and that was a huge play. And let's talk about um, the coaching, but, too, with Malcolm Jenkins. They put him on James White. I think that caught the Patriots off guard. You know, James White had, what, 14 it, catches last year in the Super Bowl against Atlanta? And a lot of talk, totally. Jenkins, Jenkins would be on Gronkowski. No, they had Corey Graham on Gronkowski. They, they did some different things on Gronk, and Jenkins was kind of shadowing James White. So all of, all of a sudden, those while well, the Patriots are going to kill him with those halfback passes, those little swing routes and those little dump offs. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't there. It wasn't there because he played so good. And just, you know, even though he's a safety, he right. has, you know, and, the coverage. And outside, of the one, and outside of the one James White touchdown where he broke a couple tackles, for the most part, they tackled well. And honestly, James White getting in on that play gave them time to go down the field rather than they stop him at the five and the Patriots milk some more time off the clock. They went right back down and got seven, courtesy of the Philly special. Let's seamlessly transition right into the greatest play. You know, you could throw your miracle, your Meadowlands out there, maybe a Randall scramble and a bomb or two, a defensive stop against Dallas, that four down. But this this play is going to live in infamy. The audio is great. The background you can get on the play, how it came to fruition, where they stole it from, how they called it in the huddle, all that unbelievable. The acting job, the execution. I mean, here, here's how I sum up the Philly special, John Mita. Confidence, balls, poise, execution, you know, the blocking, the route running, the throw, and then the audio that we get in today's age where everything's mic'd up and you can hear Nick Foles go to the sideline and be like, Philly, Philly? All right, yeah, let's do it. Like, that's how it came about, man. It is the biggest moment of anybody's season. It's the Super Bowl when you're talking about the NFL. And here they are against a team that's a damn dynasty, and they're going for the jugular at the end of the half, calling a trick play on fourth down, which, you know, had it been called illegal formation or whatever, they're kicking a field goal. But they just go to the sideline. They have the confidence. Hey, we've been practicing this thing. Perfect play call. Let's use it. I mean, it was unbelievable to get then that behind-the-scenes look after the fact at one of the greatest plays ever in Super Bowl history. And like you said before, just the execution from everyone, from the direct snap, from Nick Foles selling, selling it, it yeah. killing, you know, doing the Carson Wentz with the kill, 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 and just even Trey Byrne was just shocked of how wide open Nick Foles. He goes, Nick, how the you know how how did you get so wide open? He goes. Oh, I sold it hard, you know, and yeah. he did. I mean, and the pitch from Corey Clement to, to Trey Byrne, and Trey Byrne, just what a great pass he made. One of those easy – how many times have you seen – Oh, he could have sailed it. Oh, he could have sailed it. I mean, could have sailed it. Guys wide open. You're trying to throw the ball, but you're also trying to guide it there. You want to throw up a lollipop, make it a very catchable ball. Similar to like those goal line plays where they put the lineman, you know, out of the pattern, and there's somebody gives him some lollipop to catch, and he drops it, and you're thinking Brady. And the, the greatest irony is the Patriots ran a play like that where Tom Brady was wide open, and he just couldn't make the catch, but our quarterback Nick Foles did, and that it cap, was just that cap. And off. the cop, yeah, the confidence. Yeah. I mean, the nonchalantness. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. You want to run things up? Yeah, let's run it. What the hell? It's only the Super Bowl, for God's sake. Like, that capped you can't off, get a bigger stage than uh, that. that. That capped off a 323-yard first half for the Philadelphia Eagles. 323 first-half yards once the Philly Special found Pater. I mean, unbelievable the way they were able to control the football at times in the game. You know, you talked about the coaching staff, the management, they deserve full marks. Here's one other thing I want to get to, John Mita. And uh, for this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to a uh, to another famous Philadelphia sports athlete because we're talking about practice. To talk about is easy to sum it up when you just talk about practice. We sitting here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. I mean, it, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Not a game, John, me to practice. Why not am I game, talking about practice? Why am I talking about practice? Because the Philadelphia Eagles and their coaching staff had the pulse on this thing the right way all year long. Let's go back to the end of the regular season. Okay, Carson Wentz is down. He's out. The city is in in peril over this situation. Nick, Nick Foles comes in, you know, finishes the Rams game, got to win. Beat the Giants, got to win. All right, he can do it. Raiders game, eh, it was a little shady, right? Cowboys game, plays a few snaps, quarter, whatever it was. It was terrible, right? And everybody in town was panicking. He can't get it done. Nate Sudfeld should start. These guys stink. Wait till next year. And what did they do in that bye week? They put the pads on, and they had an intense week of practice. And looking back on that now, look back on it now and tell me that didn't make a difference. Because if you if you listen to what the players said throughout the playoffs and then after the Super Bowl, if you read their quotes, if you listen to the audio, they told you this team practiced. And Nick Foles, remember, he missed a lot of training camp with that shoulder fatigue, arm fatigue, whatever. He sounded like a starting pitcher. He was finally able to get those first team reps regularly. Okay, and I'll translate this to the hockey world because that's my industry. But when you're in season and you have a lot of games, you don't get real practice reps. Yes, you skate. Yes, you have morning skates. Yes, you sometimes have light practices. And I'd imagine it's the same in the NFL. These guys are beat up week 10, week 11. They're not really practicing like they would in September or August or July or minicamp where you really put in the foundation to be successful. But you get a bye week, not the regular season bye week where everybody goes to Cancun, but a playoff bye week. And if you prepare right, not, hey, we're confident, we're cocky, we lose our rhythm type of bye week, but you prepare right. And in this case for Foles, it was huge for him to get reacclimated or up to speed with his weapons and the number ones. It worked big time. They put the pads on. They had an intense week. They won to be ready for Atlanta. Now, was it a dogfight? Yes, it wasn't a pretty game, but they got it done. Then they get Minnesota. Now they got some confidence. Now they have another week of practice. Boom. Vikings come in. You blow their doors off. And then what do you have for the Super Bowl, John Mita? That other bye week again, where they were able to, in this case, take the pads off and just kind of go through, here's our game plan. Here's our approach. We want to be fresh for this game. But now we've got our reps in. Everybody's on the same page. The chemistry is there. The confidence is there. The game plan is there. And now we're going to bring it onto the biggest stage. So I go back to that practice time, the bye week at the end of the regular season before the Falcons game. It gave Foles a a chance, a real chance, to become the leader of this football team. 
And that, to me, a huge reason why they're Super Bowl champs now. No question about it. You know, look at the coaching staff as far as, you know, they did a fake walkthrough. Okay, I know. when and they hey, got hey, to the state. Fake walkthroughs ah. over fake news any day of the week. Fake walkthroughs, fake yeah, news. I'll absolutely. take the fake walkthroughs. Did, and I love it. They, I love it. Yeah. They just were worried that somebody else might be looking in on them. And they caught the Patriots off guard in every step of that football game. And that was amazing. And that's why. And, and one thing I saw this Alshon Jeffrey interview was great. Like, they were talking about, you know, doing the media day. And he just was like, listen, we could have stayed in Philly till about Thursday or Friday. And then he came in. He goes, I'm here to play a football game. I right. could care less about everything else. And that was just the entire focus of the entire team and practice. And you bring up a good point with Nick Foles to get that extra time in. Let's face it. When Carson Wentz had brand new weapons, you had Tory, you know, Tory Smith. You had Alshon Jeffrey. Okay. It took Carson Wentz four to five weeks to get on the same page with his receivers. Yep. And we all remember the Kansas City game. It was not pretty, okay, because he didn't – when you have preseason, you don't have a lot of time. You don't have that on-field playing time, which, which enables you to get comfortable with your receivers. And I think the same thing ran through with Nick Foles. Like, he didn't have any training camp. He just – he finally was able to get comfortable. They gave him some plays that maybe he was successful on in 2013. Some of those RPOs that he became really comfortable with. And it was just a dynamic performance from everyone. Big plays, early momentum, third down conversions, the coaching, the execution. Dude, when they came out of that tunnel to Meek Mill, Dreams and Nightmares, and they had their swag game going at 100, I was like, yes. Then the Patriots come out to Crazy Train. I'm like, what is this, 1996? What, how, how come was Welcome to the Jungle unavailable, Bill? Like, and they came out like a bunch of robots. Like, yeah, I thought yeah. Brady, you know, where was Hell's Bells? They couldn't find that. They couldn't find that CD, that cassette tape. Like, get with the times, New England. New England came out. Yes, they came out with the professional, we've been there approach, but they came out like a bunch of old white dudes. Let's be honest. The Eagles came out, and Brian Brayman, as white as it gets on that football team with a ponytail, and Jalen Mills, (laughs) as gangster and as swagged up as it gets, and they're all bouncing around. You know? I mean, that just shows this football team before even kickoff. They were ready to go. The only part of me was like, please, God, don't let them be too overconfident. Because they came, yeah. Yeah, because yep, they came out with such like, yeah, here we are. What do you got? This is us. This is how we roll. Yeah. And 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 they set that tempo early in that football game, man. And it was just such a sweet thing to watch unfold. Such a hey, sweet hey, thing. Okay. The evolution of the coaching staff and how they changed. I mean, you mentioned the Kansas City game week two. You know, we were ready yeah. to jump off a bridge on this podcast. LeGarrette Blunt had, what, one carry in that game? Yeah. Now the yeah. artist, the artist formerly known as Poopy Peterson, would he make that mistake uh-huh. again? No, he wouldn't, because he understood the personnel on this team and how they need to win football games as it moved along. You have to give credit where credit's due. They evolved as a staff, as a group, and they stuck with it no matter what. Man, what was in that room? We all we got, we all we need. That was their slogan, and there was no more true team to their slogan than this Philadelphia Eagles team. 
that's it. And how about Zach Ertz? You know, he kind of called the coaching staff under the carpet after the Kansas City game saying, hey, we had the horses. We need to run the football. Yo, and, and Zach Ertz, man, I know you and I have been critical. Philadelphia's been critical. I mean, look at the athletes yeah. that came through, all right? Aguilar, huge game, much maligned at yeah. times. Brandon Graham was yeah. called a bust for years, had the biggest play yeah. on defense. Zach Ertz always was just I, like, he was like the tease, right? He was uh, literally yeah. the tease of the organization because you'd see it, you'd see the 90-yard game and two scores, but then where was he when the when the going got tough? He was nowhere. I mean, that's why you called him a yakless wonder. But you know what? Yeah. He had yak on the game-winning touchdown, baby. It may have been a dive for two yards, but he crossed that yeah. freaking goal line, and it was like, yeah. oh, my God. He just third down, fourth down. He was the guy. He was the security blanket. He was going to make those mismatches work. And they had mismatches. Malcolm Butler sitting out was a huge mistake for New England Patriots. It put guys out of position. It gave the Eagles the upper hand, and they took full advantage of it. And you know what, New England? Suck it. All right? Because if that's Belichick, if that's Belichick to a T, his ego gets in the way where he's going to sit a guy for no goddamn good reason that's been made public. You know, maybe Patriots way has their own reason why. But if that that was Bill being Bill, while I'm in charge, here's my team, then you deserve what you got which is a butt kicking on national television. <laughs> they, well they got their butts kicked, man. They did. They, the Eagles beat them oh, in every well. facet of the game. They broke tackles. They converted on third down. The opening kickoff, Corey Clements breaking tackles. I mean, if that didn't tell you the Eagles were ready to play, I don't know what does. The one, too, is when New England goes up 33-32. And probably the biggest drive of the entire football game is when Nick Foles came down reestablished the lead. They took like seven minutes off the clock on that particular drive yep. where Zach Ertz gets the go-ahead touchdown. And that's how you beat a guy like Tom Brady. You just don't let him back on the football field. And that was, what a huge answer that was. They never looked rattled. I love the poise of this team. They would go down in football games and they're like, we're fine. Even you can see the sound bites of Malcolm Jenkins. They just get beat by Gronkowski on the touchdown. He kept telling all of his guys in the defensive backfield, we're fine, guys. We're fine. Don't worry about it. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. Yeah, we're going to be fine. They're going to get know? theirs. They're that good. You yeah. know they're going to get yeah. theirs. I mean, they racked up <laughs> 600 yards or whatever. But the game was really, oh was really never in doubt because the Eagles always had an answer. Okay, oh, you want to drive? You want to drive down? You want to get your three? All right, we're gonna we're gonna put up seven. You get your seven. We're gonna come right back down with seven. And the game that Corey Clement had four catches for a hundred yards. I mean, the, the big God, plays they made, started. you got started. Blunt had a big run, next play bomb to Jeffrey. Jeffrey has a diving yeah. grab on the sideline, a ridiculous catch, next play Blunt's in the end zone. They had back-to-back big plays. Every time they hit the Patriots in the mouth, they followed it up again with another big play, whether it was a block, a chip here, a big hole on a run, you know, make a guy miss. The wheel route that Corey Clement ran, it was perfect. They saw they had a matchup. They had a linebacker against Clement. They put it up top. And did you see that guy run with the football? Did you see Corey Clement run? He was going to run over anybody in his freaking path. <laughs> yeah, that was, you know, that particular, yeah. I mean, that, that catch and that run, it was like, it was, he, he just didn't want to be denied. I mean, he knew, you know, him being a Jersey guy, he knew what this meant to the city. And he just was like going to bring it. And it just... Yeah, that was that was awesome. What a what a pickup that was. I know, you know undrafted, undrafted, undrafted man. 
people said, like, I, I watched him at Wisconsin. People were like, ah, oh, he doesn't really have that great hands. I'm like, dude, he caught the ball out of the backfield an awful lot. Like, yeah, is he not the fastest guy? Sure, but and that kid's got a huge heart, man. And a chip he, on he, his he, shoulder, he, like the city. And a chip on – and listen, he, and he led the running backs to touchdowns this year. I think yep. he had seven touchdowns, yep. which is more than any other running back on the roster. So – what an unbelievable game he had. What an unbelievable postseason yeah. he had. Hey, Just, real, real quick, you know, before before sure. we jump into yeah. uh, like kind of some, some lasting thoughts yeah. or storylines for the yeah. future, the embrace by the alumni and the current players embracing the former players, I've never seen anything like this before. Um, you know, I think if you ask Ike Reese today, Brian Dawkins today, Jeremiah, they're like, yeah, we're Super Bowl champs. It's like, well, you weren't on the team. But the whole city feels that way, right? Like, yeah, we're all Super Bowl champs. Like, I've been walking around telling people I'm a Super Bowl champion, right? Some of these guys, yeah. you know, Freddie Mitchell, very much maligned in his career. He's on the, he's on one of the floats. Like, these guys, they knew what this meant. They knew they didn't get it done for whatever reason. They knew how badly they wanted to get done. And they were just, like, brought back into the family in such a way that it was kind of like, it was just weird. It, it was awesome, but it was just very unique. Yeah, they were kind of like the forefathers, right? I mean, yeah. they kind of paved they paved the way, and 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 these guys delivered. And so many people embraced Brian Dawkins after it was Mick Foles after the NFC Championship. He gives Dawkins a big hug, and Brent Selleck goes over to Dawkins and tells him, "One more game, we're not done yet." And you know, Brent Selleck, the day of the parade, he he's wearing a Harold Carmichael jersey. I know it was awesome, and, and, right? And, and and Jason Peters was wearing a Brian Dawkins jersey, and, and you just love to see that. You love that because, like, so many times, some of the older players of that particular organization are forgotten, and they they embraced the brotherhood of the the players that paved the way for them. And I think that's an amazing thing. And it, it was just so good to see. Yes, it was totally weird, but uh, they all felt like champions. I mean, they just. It felt like they they were a part of it, and yep. uh, it was just awesome. I love I that mean, Jason just, Peters got a ring. I love that Darren yeah. Sproles was able to you know at least enjoy part of the fact. Carson Wentz now is a Super Bowl champion for the rest of his life, whether he wins one or not. Everybody's getting a ring. Yeah, what a great story. Man, the, the magic man. Jeffrey Lurie said we're getting John Gorenbos. Yeah, that's ring, great. All right, lasting storylines uh, or the next yeah. storylines sure. for the off season. What jumps out to you? I got a few of them. Uh, you start. What What do you think? Kind of the next month or so, or looking back. Yeah. I mean, what What stands out? Oh, what stands out is what are we going to do with Nick Foles? You know, and that's it's a big thing. It's it's you know, pretty much been all over the airwaves here in Philadelphia. Do you keep him? Do you trade him? You know, what what type of value will he receive? Right now, he's got his highest value that he's probably ever had in his career, except for after when he threw, you know, 27 touchdowns and two interceptions. The question is, does he want to go anywhere? You know, I mean, that's the big thing. Like, if he says, listen, fellas, I want to become a starting quarterback and these are the places, then, I, you know, I think he kind of owes it to him that comedy if he wants to do that. But I'm not so sure he wants to leave. Now, great, you're not going to pay him. Huge ransom. You can't pay two quarterbacks. Now, Carson Wentz's contract's going to be up. But that's a huge storyline. The other thing is, Carson Wentz is still coming back from Macy Ellinger. You know, he wants to be ready to go week one. With a franchise quarterback like that, you can't force – you can't put that pressure on him. You can't force the timetable. 
he'll be ready to come back when he's full and healthy. And let's not make the mistake that some of the other rushing other quarterbacks back, you know, like RG3. an RG three who yeah. came back. Yep, exactly, came back too early. So the question is, and Oxygon, if people want Nick Foles and he's willing to go somewhere, I'm not taking any less than a first round draft pick. You know, some people say I'd be okay with a second round draft pick. I'm not taking any less. He's a Super Bowl champion. He proved that he could get it done. And if, for God's sake, you can trade Sam Bradford for a number one pick, why can't you trade Nick Foles for a number one pick? I kind of maybe like to keep him as a security blanket. Why not have two good quarterbacks on your rosters? Well, that's why they brought brought him in the first place. And so I'll say this, this may be very naive of me, but I, I'm going to I'm gonna lean on what you just kind of hinted at or brought up, which is I don't know that he wants to go anywhere. Like, I don't understand. I don't, What's the problem with yeah. bringing back Nick Foles as a backup? I mean, he's already said the post-career he wants to be a pastor. He's obviously made great money in football. Now he's a champion. Why would he want to – he was going to quit the game a couple years ago. Why would he want to go to Cincinnati and get pounded because they have no offensive line and win no eight games? No offensive line, no weapons. Yeah, and then that's the other thing. Look how and then he deal with the scrutiny. And deal with why the scrutiny. Why did he exactly? Like, why he did he stays, struggle in St. Louis? He stays here, and he's and he's a god. Period. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I to me again, I could be looking at this very from a naive standpoint. But if I'm the Philadelphia Eagles, I, I don't trade him. I don't know that I even trade him for a first round pick. And I know that sounds crazy because you have to get your assets when you get them. And you don't, you know, you have the 32nd pick this year. If you can get the 15th or the 18th or the 12th pick for him, you probably, from a football standpoint, if you're Howie Roseman, you probably have to pull the trigger because when are you going to get that opportunity again? But I, I, I don't make that move, at least today. Uh, as I stand here today on the Brotherly Love podcast, I asked Nick Foles if he's okay being Carson Wentz's backup, which he said from the second Wentz got hurt. I'm basically keeping this seat warm. Did he know it was going to, you know, fruition would be uh, a Super Bowl title? Probably not. Nobody could have predicted that when Wentz first went down. But here we are today. So you've got the best backup in football. You've got your MVP coming back. If he's not ready to go week one, like you said, you've got Foles. If for some reason Wentz struggles at any point next year, you've got Foles. You know how the offense looks with him. And I just think you bring him back and you've got two great quarterbacks. Yeah, no question about it. And I think that's – I'm in agreement with you. I mean, I'd probably keep him. I mean, honest to God. I mean, you'd have to blow me away. And also, he would have to, willing, he, he would have, to have the willingness to express to you that he wants to leave. Now his agent, his agent's going to tell him, "Listen, Nick, you got an opportunity to make ten, you know, fifteen to twenty million dollars a year somewhere else." But I think he's happy here. He embraced his role, and I think he's going to be here. What's your next one, Joseph? What well, do you got? What do you got? It's it's kind of along the same lines, and it's it's Jason Peters because I found it very interesting that Doug Peterson used the comment, "quote Gun to my head, Jason Peters is the left tackle." You don't walk back those comments as a head coach. I mean, he put it out there right after the Super Bowl. He could have said, we love Jason Peters. He's great. We'll evaluate when the season's over. The game just ended. He said Jason Peters is coming back if it's up to him. Again, you can never have enough good linemen. We've seen that. Big V played outstanding football. The whole line played the, you know, the game of the year from that standpoint, blocking the Patriots to perfection for the most part, the Super Bowl 52. Uh, I just kind of find that surprising. What happens with Jason Peters? Is he really the left tackle to start next year? That's that's something I'll be keeping my eye on. Well, I mean, just uh, to harp on that, too, and, and that was kind of one of the things that I wrote down, too, and, and Darren Sproles, you know, do you yeah. bring him back? He wants to be a part of this. So if you – You know, who who, who gets cut in the running back yeah. room? If you had yeah, told – 
yeah, chemistry yeah. and they work together. If you had told me pre Super Bowl, you know, or asked me pre Super Bowl, I would have said I'd like to see a Jai, Sproles, and Clement as the running yeah. backs next year. But Legarrette yeah. Blunt was just so damn good, and he never once caused a stink. Never once, you know. And, and, and so it's like, absolutely. Why wouldn't you bring him back if he comes back for his million dollar salary with some bonuses? And I hate to move on from Darren Sproles. You know how much I love Darren Sproles. But if you have a Jai, you have Blunt, you have Clement, and you got Kenyon Barner that can return kicks and be that you know reserve guy. I don't know what you need other than that. Unless Blunt and Ajayi are like, man, we can't do 16 more weeks of this eight carries a guy thing. I mean, that's the only reason yeah. I don't see that working. But I, if Darren Sproles, well, plays, I mean, a, I just, if Darren Sproles plays a game somewhere else, I'm going to jump off a bridge. Like, that's how much I love the guy. I'm sorry, Kenyon Barner. You did a great job this year, but I think, um, you know, Sproles, at the very least. But can you bring them all? Can center. you fit them all? That's the big question. Money wise. Well, if you cut them. Yeah, and Brent Selleck. What are you going to do with Brent Selleck? He's Selleck? gone. Is he going to retire? Yeah, he's got to go. I mean, do you think he retires? Yeah. And Vinny, Vinny Curry, the other guy. You know, Vinny Curry has a $12.5 million cap number this year. No. That is a lot of he's worth a, money. He's worth about a quarter of that. Yeah, $6 million. I'd give him half, maybe that. But And Derek Barnett's ready to step in. So it'll be interesting to see where they trim some, you know, some of the guys that have been on their football team, where they save some money, where they – but, you know, that's all up to how He did a great job this year fitting people in, and now they're going to have a lot of questions in the offseason of who do we get rid of, who do we keep, who do we want to re-sign. It's going to be very interesting. And how about the coaches, man? Coaching shake-up, your boy Flip moving on, Frank yeah. Reich moving yeah. on. I mean, that's obviously going to be uh, an interesting dynamic to watch moving forward. That's And, you know, reports have come out. You sent me the article. You know, the Eagles are talking about not having an offensive coordinator. You could elevate a guy, the offensive coordinator, but let's face it, you know, Doug Peterson's your offensive coordinator. The question is, will he give more responsibilities to guys like uh, Deuce Staley uh, for the run game? Mike Rowe, the receivers coach, are they going to play a bigger role? Because, you know, Frank Wright's role was to bring the game plan to Doug Peterson, and then two of them kind of talk it through, then they stripped out the plays together. So it'll be interesting if they, they elevate someone there to that position. And they're big losses. You know, John DeFlippo did a fantastic job of, of getting these quarterbacks ready to play all year. He obviously was big in getting Foles ready to play down the stretch, and uh, he's definitely going to be missed. I mean, I can understand why he left for Minnesota. You know, he basically left to become the offensive coordinator. He wanted to call plays like he did for one year in Cleveland. So that's kind of the next step up in the uh, coaching landscape or the coaching hierarchy is, you know, become a coordinator, have success for a couple of years, and then you're going to be in the running for a head coaching job, which, you know, he interviewed for several positions. He interviewed with the Cardinals. He interviewed with the Bears. You know, Frank Wright, that's going to be a big loss, too. I mean, as much as we talk about the chemistry uh, with the players on this football team, there was great chemistry with the coaching staff as well. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out down the line. You bring up a great point there for sure. And the good news is, as Super Bowl champions – Everybody else can suck it. So let the dra- let the drama unfold. No we don't have to sweat over every move anymore, my friend. At least not for a few more weeks. You know, just like exactly. hey, oh, we lost a couple coaches. Eh, let's polish off that Lombardi eh. Trophy a little bit. Eh, polish it up. Polish it up. Do you Keep think? It bright. Keep it bright. I will. I will leave you with this. Do you think the Philadelphia fan base softens at all now that they have a Super Bowl? 
Absolutely not. I mean, I know, no I way. I'm the same mean, way. Because look, and so here's, I mean, my, here's my analogy. Here's why I know nothing's changing inside this, uh, underneath this skin, all right? Because yeah. I was pissed when the Eagles lost to the Cowboys week 17 and a game that meant squat. And I was not yeah. happy. I watched the whole freaking game and I was so angry. I wanted to smash something because they couldn't move the ball because they couldn't get in the end zone and they got shut out by Dallas at home. And I was like, ah, you know, one of those were like, like, well, whatever playoffs. God, I hate losing. Like, that's how I know. That's how I know that's not nothing's changing here. And I know there's about 2 million people in Philadelphia feel the same way. Yeah. There's no way. I I don't see people changing. I think, has this brought some leeway for some of the players? The coaching said, we're going to be like, ah, they had a big game. Maybe it eases up a little. But listen, the great thing about this fan base in Philadelphia is they're going to hold you accountable, okay? If you're not playing hard, if you're lollygagging, if you're dogging it, they're going to let you know about it. But then they're also going to be there, the first people to be there to give you a hug, give you a kiss, tell you what a great job you did when you play hard, when you play well. When it means something, when you play as hard as it means to what this fan base is, then then, then you're going to be acknowledged, and we're going to be critical. It's just who we are, we, and we have this critical nature as a fan base, so that's never going to stop. But there's also we're also going to think to ourselves, you know what? We're still champions. Nobody can take that away from us. We got it done. But uh, no, that's that's the passion. That's what makes this fan base great is that we care, okay? We care, and we only hope that the coaches, that the owner, that the general manager, that everyone else has the fire, the passion that we do and cares as much as we do about this football team. So. Hey, hey, John Mita, trivia question for you. Ready? Yeah. It's a tough, it it's a tough one. Do you, know who, right. do you know who won Super Bowl 52? Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure I, 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 know, I know it very well. The Philadelphia Eagles! I love it. To the I love it. I love it. <laughs> it just sounds so sweet, doesn't it? Ah, it's, it, it will never. It will, you know, I'm buying merchandise. I'll have plaques in my house. That was another thing. After the Super Bowl, people wanted to, you know, there's people just, you know, in the, the skyways in Minnesota. Hey, can I buy your Super Bowl stuff for $20? No, my man. Okay, this ticket goes $1,200, okay, and you're not getting it from me. You'd have to beat me down to take my Super Bowl ticket. Beat me down for my stuff. Oh, yeah. They got it done, dude. I love it. Good stuff, dude. You're the man. Sorry for the length of this podcast, all of our peeps out there. We're an hour plus, yeah. but God damn it, who yeah. cares? Who cares? It's what the people want. Yeah, no one likes <laughs> us. We don't care. So, exactly. Always exactly. a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Hey, false prayers go out to the victims of that senseless school shooting in Florida. Yeah, it's just senseless is the right way to put it. Crazy world we live in, my friend. 
All right, brother. We'll probably take a little hiatus, and then we got to start talking about other sports teams, apparently. Oh, yeah. Uh, Super Bowl champs, baby. Super Bowl champs. Uh, Love you, brother. Glad you had a great time up there. We'll talk soon. Thanks to you and your four-wheel drive, brother. (laughs) For Joe Meetup, Joe O'Donnell. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Appreciate all the love and support. Till next time, we'll see you.